I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Six days of laughing and learning and living in ways that you never thought were possible. If for one second you've ever considered joining a Plant Strong retreat, now is your opportunity. Join me and the whole Plant Strong crew April 16th to the 21st, just outside Asheville, North Carolina, in the wondrous and magical Black Mountain. We'll be taking morning hikes together, playing afternoon pickleball, yoga, endless, endless buffets of plant based meals talks from some of the world-leading experts on how to elevate and enhance your plant-based lifestyle, and a little asterisk here, great news for healthcare professionals, we have CMEs and CEUs available for physicians, physician assistants, nurses, and nurse practitioners as part of the registration fee. Simply visit plantstrong.com and click on Black Mountain for all the details, or send an email with any questions you have to events at plantstrong.com. I'll see you April 16th. But I wanted to show that you can eat an abundance of plants and and still stay within that budget. And I was able to. I got my meal planned down to $20 shopping at Walmart. And I was buying things like um, brown rice, uh, whole dried beans, uh, lots of different produce, and it was three three meals a day plus some snacks. Um, you're eating a lot of fruit for snacks. And uh, I, I showed how it could be done. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, 
and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. We are going to start out today's episode with a pop quiz. So grab your pencils or your pens. No PTSD here because this will not be graded. This is just pure fun. What is the most common myth about adopting a whole food plant-based diet? And we're going to remove from the answers, take off the table protein. All right. The crazy fear of not getting enough protein forget about it. That doesn't count. So in my opinion, and I think most of you will agree with me, the biggest misconception is that this way of eating is too expensive and absolutely unattainable for most people. And this simply is not true. I mean, what in the world is more economical than potatoes, rice, beans, and bananas? My guest today has been on a mission to bust this myth to smithereens with her website and books. I'm talking about Miss Plant-Based on a Budget herself, Tony Okamoto. For much of her adult life, Tony has lived at or near the poverty line, but she created her site, plantbasedonabudget.com, way back in 2012 to prove that healthy eating does not have to be expensive. She's created meal plans that show how to eat plant-based if you only have $25 per week to spend. She started the Plant-Based on a Budget Facebook group, and she has written multiple books, including her latest, which drops on March 7th, Plant-Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy, featuring 100 fast and healthy meals. There's no pretentiousness here, just plant-powered fun, as Tony walks me through her story and we dig into some of the tips and recipes in her new book that will stretch your dollar and leave you with quick, easy, mouth-watering meals. Let's welcome Tony. Tony Okamoto, welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rip. I am really excited about our conversation today. Well, I don't think you're as excited as I am because if you can teach our listeners how to save time and save money by eating plant-based, then that to me is a great, great value add. And I can't wait to, you know, kind of <clears throat> knock those pin down, pins down with you today. So Tony, where are you? Where, where am I speaking to you from? I'm in Sacramento, California. It is uh, the capital of California, which people know, but people also think of it as a really big city when actually it's really tiny. <laughs> so what does tiny mean to you? Like 400,000 people? No, it, it's spread out very far. Uh -huh. And there are a lot of people because it takes maybe 50 minutes to get from one side of the city to the other. But uh, if you drive to our downtown, you'll be very underwhelmed. It will, it will have like five or six big buildings and it's it's not uh the site you would expect for the capital of california but the plant-based food is good yeah so that's, that's great yeah. yeah well um my wife's sister lives in chico california oh. which is just an hour and a half up the road so we would always fly into sacramento and sometimes we would 
we've spent the night at the Hyatt Regency that's kind of right on the river walk there, which is a really nice place where you can walk and there's like little shops and stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I find that to be really charming actually. Yeah. I, I've, I've grown up here, so I like it. And yeah. I thought I would move a million times, but uh, here I am. So there must be something really good that's keeping me. Yeah. Tony, uh, your first name is spelled T-O-N-I. How did you get that name, Tony? And why is it spelled that way? That is a good question. Okay. So this is kind of funky. Everyone in my big family has a Tony of some sort in their immediate family. So my grandma was named Antonia. Uh, she is who I'm named after. Yeah. And her dad was Antonio. But in my family, I've got Antonettes. I have Tonys. I have T-O-N-Y Tonys. I have Anthonys. And, uh, and so when you go to a family reunion and you say Tony, half the group is turning their head to see who's calling their name. Well, that's awesome. And you were raised by a single father. Is that correct? That is correct. I actually had two chapters of my childhood. I had part one where I was raised by my grandparents. Uh, my dad was very young, a teenager when I was born. So he went to the Navy when, uh, right when I was born so that he could send home his paychecks. And my grandparents raised me in that time while my dad was deployed. So I got a really solid upbringing with uh, my grandpa, who was a Japanese gardener here in the Central Valley. Wow. And uh, I had a ton of access to fresh food. And my grandma, they were both retired, would cook it from scratch. And then when I was 11, I moved back with my dad, and we lived kind of the bachelor life together. <laughs> and do you, do you know who your mother is? I do. Yeah. I, I have known her at this point. Um, I see her maybe once a year or so, mm -hmm. but I have not had a really active relationship with her throughout my life. Yeah. Do you, how often do you see your dad? Since, oh, I would imagine he's still in Sacramento. All the time. I yeah. see him all the time. I talk to him every day. He's my best friend and I get to see him once or twice a week. Yeah. And I think it's really fantastic how you've dedicated your new book, right? Plant-based on a budget, quick and easy to your father. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read the dedication. You say to my dad, with all my love, respect and admiration, all the nights and weekends that you brought me along as you worked overtime are deeply ingrained in my heart. And I have so much gratitude for the sacrifices that you made as a young single father to give me the best life. Thank you for showing me what hard work looks like. This book and everything that I do is in your honor. That is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I feel it so deeply in my heart. My dad has made so many sacrifices. Every choice that he has made has been for me and my younger brother. And that's really special. Hmm. Well, I, I would imagine that he must be so incredibly proud of your journey and your career path now and what you've been able to accomplish. At this point, yes, we have had some ups and downs because um, I don't think he understood what blogging meant, what being a content creator meant when I told him I was going to do it full time. And I, 
I believe he thought I was taking a step back in life. Mm. Uh, but at this point, he's very proud of me. And also with the plant-based <laughs> plant based lifestyle, he was not totally understanding of why it was important to me and was quite dramatic in the beginning of why I would first stop eating red meat, uh, but then go on to be a total hippy-dippy all the way over here. Yeah. Uh, but now they support me and they accommodate accommodate me. And uh, I'm really lucky. My dad and his wife, uh, who they've been married now for, I want to say, 23 years, they they support me and accommodate me always. And has your father changed the way he eats because of what you've done? I celebrate every plant-based meal. And when I'm around, they're always making things for me that I can eat. And when we eat together, it's usually plant-based. Like tomorrow's my birthday. And we're going to go drive to the Bay Area, which is about an hour and a half from where I live, to go to a nice plant-based restaurant. And that was his idea. It's, uh. it's something that he knows is important to me and wants to do with me. And I call that a win. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your birthday tomorrow. I just had my birthday a couple of days ago. So is that, are you an, uh, are you Aquarius? I'm a Pisces. Pisces. Yep, okay. I think the 20th is the is cutoff. cutoff. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you went to co uh, community college and then you, you dropped out and um, and then I think it was in your late 20s that you decided you'd go back and get your degree when you really kind of had more of a greater and deeper appreciation for education, right? Yes, for, for many different reasons. One, yeah. I, I had more of a, a path that I wanted to take in 2016 is when I decided I wanted to run plant-based on a budget full-time. And it's also when I went back to school. So I was able to learn and directly apply all of the information that I was learning from college to my business. And I went to University of San Francisco, mm. studied management, which has a huge business component and really have applied everything I've learned into my business. Yeah. And you went plant-based in about 2007. What were your, what were your guiding stars that kind of got you into this? At first it was health. I had never considered how the food I ate impacted my body ever, ever, ever. It wasn't a thing that I was taught. And then I was getting sick quite often at my track practice. And mm. my coach is the first person who was like, yo, what are you eating? And I thought, wow, that's a weird question. <laughs> uh, but it was that I was eating a lot of processed food and a lot of uh, red meat and a lot of fast food. There was a Taco Bell located directly across the street from my campus. It was a thing to go with my friends and get a, a bean burrito and a taco or two bean burritos and two tacos. Uh, and I was just eating no vegetables. And, uh, and so he told me I should cut back on red meat, fast food, and uh, processed food and start incorporating more vegetables. And he didn't say go vegetarian or anything like that, but that was the first time I made a choice to eat healthier. And from there, I began to thrive as an athlete. I was recovering faster. I wasn't getting sick. And it, it was the genesis of me moving closer to a plant-based lifestyle. 
And you also have a kind of a, a deep love for animals, right? <laughs> Very much so. In uh, so I decided to become vegetarian after I left my family's house. It was really rough for them, as I as I mentioned earlier. They thought, "Gosh, how did how did we get this hippy dippy kid?" And and at that time, I only didn't eat red meat. Uh, But it was it was a challenge for them, and it was much easier for me to embrace vegetarianism when I left their house and when I was responsible for my own food. And at that time, I didn't really know what vegetarian meant. I was still eating soup with chicken broth in it. I was still picking pepperonis off my cheese pizza. And it wasn't until I went to community college and found um, the vegetarian club through an ethics course Mm. that I, I felt inspired. And that ethics course was an intro to ethics. And one third of it was spent on animal ethics. I learned about things I had never considered and felt more supported through that course and through the veg club to start looking at my food more critically. And we went to a a sanctuary, a farmed animal sanctuary, where I got to meet the individuals who had been spared from slaughter. And that was really powerful. And all of those things together, especially having the support system, meeting peers, who had similar challenges and who were able to overcome those challenges and become plant-based. They were um, culturally rooted in their foods like me on a tight budget, didn't have a lot of resources in their kitchen to cook elaborate meals. Uh, we, We shared all of these challenges and overcame them together. And it was the reason I think I was able to stick to it. Mm. Your whole brand, Tony, is plant-based on a budget. You've got close to 600,000 followers now on on Instagram. You're coming out with your, I think it's your third book. You've got a a podcast that you're doing that is called, um, let's see, what is it called? It's called Uh, what? (laughs) It's called the Plant Powered People Podcast. And uh, and you were a guest on there, which we are so grateful yeah, I knew it was a lot of peas in there, but plant-based on a budget. So this obviously rang true to you. What was it that in your life, I mean, allowed you to have this resonate with you so well? Is it because you were living pay to paycheck, because you had to actually be super economical and live this way? Uh, it, was a, it was a few things. Uh, first, and... Still, to this day, I love my family so much, and they were experiencing so many diet-related health issues. My aunt had type 2 diabetes, and she had multiple amputations, and then it claimed her life. And my grandpa, who helped raise me, had a heart attack, and then he died of uh, complications in a triple bypass surgery. And my 40-year-old uncle, he had a heart attack, and it was just all over the place, everywhere I looked. And I felt like I needed to do something. So I had already been thriving on a plant-based diet. And every time I would say, hey, you should try this, money was something that I heard Mm -hmm. as a concern. So I started making our family's recipes plant-based and putting them on plant-based on a budget. 
but I also wanted to show not only my family, but my friends too. So many people I knew were on a, on a tight budget and I had been living paycheck to paycheck. I was living under the poverty line. I had multiple jobs. There were times I didn't have a car and I was still able to do it shopping at places like Dollar Tree and Walmart. And I wanted to show that you didn't have to shop at a, an expensive grocery store or even a different grocery store than you normally go to, to eat plant-based. Wow. What were some of the jobs that you held? I was a tutor at my college campus uh, when I was in community college. I worked at a shoe store. I worked at a, a vegan restaurant. I worked as a nanny for the longest time of that period. I was a nanny for one family for five years. Right. And I, uh, I, still, I still know them and I still really love them. <laughs> well, they must be so enthused with your success. Um, okay, so you wrote your first book, Plant-Based on a Budget. It came out in 2019, correct? Yes. And... When did that light go, that light bulb go on in your brain going, you know what? I think I want to write a book about plant-based on a budget. I mean, did somebody like say, Hey, Tony, you should write a book. Or did you think of it yourself? Cause I can tell you, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would write a book and be an author and all that stuff. But I had some people that believed that I could and pushed me. And then I also eventually believed, but how did it work for you? Well, I, I actually have four books. It's my fourth book. My yeah. first book was uh, the Super Easy Vegan Slow Cooker Cookbook. And that was a very different experience being a published author. A, a company came up to me, a publisher came up to me and said, hey, we have this concept. Will you write it and then put your name on it and we'll market it and we'll pay you a writer's fee? I was paid a very small amount of money. I was paid... $3,500 to write the cookbook. And it went on to sell 90,000 copies. So it did really well. And I got paid very little. And you didn't get any royalties for that? No, I didn't get royalties. So uh, that that's the model of some publishers. They look for promising authors who haven't written a book yet, who have a growing platform. I think I had maybe 20,000 followers at the time. And, uh, and so so, so if I can interrupt for a second, yeah, because, yeah. because selling 90,000 and do you know what the price point was on this? Was I this? think it sold for 1695. So in a typical arrangement, you probably would have made, if you were making back end royalties, you probably would have made well over a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars just, you know, as an FYI. So that, anyway, okay, so let's move on. <laughs> so then I, knew what I was capable of. I, I started around the time I had sold maybe 35,000 copies. I, I heard that I should get an agent. Everybody who I had known, uh, who had had a book before said, you need an agent. You should have had an agent before. That's outrageous that you were paid 3,500 and sold 35,000 copies. So I went onto a website called Publishers Marketplace where you can see a list of agents and how, not how much they're making, but what kind of deals they're, they're brokering for their clients. And I emailed the top 10. 
I heard back from six. I got my top choice. Uh, her name is Celeste Fine. She's super awesome. And she helped me get a deal with Ben Bella, who is now my current publisher. And I like them. They do a profit sharing model. So I make 50% of the profits now of all of my books. That's that's great. And, ben, and you know, to my understanding, the, the book that really put Ben Bella on the map was the China study who Colin went with back in 2000 and uh, 2005. And has stuck with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his whole family loves Ben Bella and that they, they treat their authors really well. They are very, very extremely supportive, which is not always the case with different publishers. Yeah. Well, I guess Colin really greased the skids for, you know, a lot of other plant-based books, you know, to Definitely. come down that pike. <laughs> Definitely. They went on to have their own vegan line of books. So it's mm -hmm. Ben Bella vegan and they specifically want to work with vegan people, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, please continue. Okay. So, uh, I then started with, uh, with Ben Bella. Mm -hmm. We put together a proposal. Uh, they weighed in on it. At first I wanted to talk only about money and they wanted me to include some aspects of time. It's not as thorough as plant-based on a budget, quick and easy, which is my follow-up yeah. that is just out. But I focused a lot with that book on where I was in life. And that was, I was cooking everything from scratch. I was trying to save money. I was in a lot of debt still and Food prep, meal prep, meal planning was a tool that I used to bring myself out of debt. And that was what that book was focusing on. If you are in a similar position where you have more time than money, I will teach you how to make the basics and enjoy it and have them be healthy meals. And my audience is primarily non-vegetarian. I have done a study, uh, a, a survey I've done a couple surveys that show about 65% of my audience eats meat still, and mm. they're looking to incorporate more plant-based dishes and they're just stepping in. They maybe saw me on what the health, that's where I get a lot of my traffic from, uh, or they saw my book on Amazon and decided to follow me. And, and I'm usually the first step into plant-based eating for my audience, which is very cool. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great brand plant-based on a budget. And I don't know many people that aren't trying to, you know, save money and, and save time. Um, all right, let's, let's dive into this little gem. All right. Your, your latest baby. Is this a baby girl or a baby boy? <laughs> it's a baby girl. Okay. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about this little baby girl. Let's first talk about meal planning because you basically say how, you know, there's different ways that you can um, budget both time and money in and out of the kitchen. And the first thing you talk about is meal planning. So um, meal planning. Meal planning is how I got my start uh, with plant-based on a budget. It's how it became well-known. And when I started, I was giving people recipes. They didn't really know how to create 
a, a plan within their week that was using all of the ingredients. And so they would use half of a bunch of celery, uh, celery, they would use half of a bag of carrots. And then over here, they were putting together something with pasta, which may not use those same ingredients. And so it was hard for people. And I kept on hearing it over and over. How do you, how do you blend your ingredients so that you're using all of them throughout the week? So that's how I started meal planning. I created the plant based on a budget meal plan challenge in 2013. Wow. And I said, if I had, um, if I create a meal plan that shows you how you can eat for at the time, it was $25 per week, who would do this challenge with me? And I had a few thousand people sign up. And it was very, very fun. I was inspired by what was called the snap challenge. And they basically took the money that was allotted for government assistance for food and they showed how people were eating and I was really unimpressed with how much processed food people were showing but I wanted to show that you can eat an abundance of plants and and still stay within that budget and I was able to I got my meal plan down to $20 shopping at Walmart and that's the that's where the majority of my audience shops uh, is at Walmart. Twenty dollars is that for is that for a, a day or is that for a week? A, one week, twenty dollars, and I was buying things like um, brown rice, uh, whole dried beans, uh, lots of different produce, and it was three three meals a day plus some snacks. Um, you're eating a lot of fruit for snacks, and uh, I. I showed how it could be done. And those are still very popular on my website today. I now say it's $35 because of inflation. And that's what was featured on What the Health. Uh, Kip and I went to the grocery store using my week one meal plan. And I remember being rung up and there's a ton of food going yeah. down the line. And everybody was like waiting and Kip had cash. And and he only brought $25. And it, <laughs> it, it rung up to something like $21 and everyone was like, what, how did you get all of this food? But through smart planning and being thoughtful about what goes well together, you can really get your food costs down. And so that's, that's how, that's how I got into meal planning. And I'm happy to share a lot of tips about the ways I go about it. Well, um, Great. Let's, I want to talk about the next macro thing that you talk about to save time and money. And that is a well-stocked pantry. I can't tell you how many times I, like last night, I went into the pantry to, you know, make a, uh, make actually just a simple uh, pasta dish. And we had no jar of pasta sauce. We didn't have oh. tomatoes, anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, Tony would be like really upset at me right now. <laughs> well-stocked pantry well-stocked pantry and well-stocked freezer because i recently came home from a trip and i didn't have any fresh produce because we had used it all before we left but i had a bunch of frozen food that i was able to use like frozen bell peppers frozen broccoli and so i try to stock my pantry with things that are not going to go bad uh within the next few months, six months, even a year. And those things are beans. I love beans so much. Pinto is yeah. my favorite. 
but also lentils. I love quinoa. I have a pressure cooker and you can cook quinoa in five minutes in the pressure cooker. Uh, so that's a grain that I rely on. Brown rice, uh, definitely pasta. I have a whole case of pasta in the garage. And I mean a bin, like one of those storage bins where I have all the different shapes of pasta. I've got lasagna and uh, and. There was a time I did not have a lot of space. I have the space to do this now. But even even if you are in a one-bedroom apartment that has a little tiny cupboard for your food, you can still stock that with uh, cans of beans and or dried beans and the things that I just mentioned, but in smaller amounts. And what's great about bulk purchasing is that it also allows you to buy only what you need for the week. So when I was on a tight budget in a tiny little kitchen that had maybe two cabinets for my food storage, I was going and buying only what I had in my meal plan. Uh, that was maybe two cups of brown rice. I would bring my measuring cups and use the downpour bulk bin to only buy the two cups that I needed so that I knew I was going to use them. And it, it saved me so much money. So bulk is great. If you want to do what I do now, or if you want to do what I did then. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the pressure cooker to help save mm -hmm. time. You have a little section on time-saving kitchen tools, absolute must-haves. What are some of your must-haves that you would recommend for people that want to save time? I... I am so grateful to have a pressure cooker. I did not think I would ever get one because... When you're used to cooking from scratch, that can also be part of your identity. I love cooking from scratch, but oh my gosh, I can now go walk my dog while beans are cooking. And instead of having two hours, three hours waiting for my beans, I love to cook them for 25 minutes on high pressure, then take the lid off and saute them, uh, saute the water out for 25 more minutes. And so in an hour, I have beans ready to go that are the perfect texture that don't have a lot of salt in them like if you were to get them in a can and i i think they just taste so much better so uh, it cuts down time dramatically and definitely or especially with active prep time or active cook time where i have to be at the stove stirring adding more water making sure it's not going to burn or overflow i can now go in, in my garden and hang out or do laundry or walk my dog it, while it's cooking without risk of fire or yeah. explosion or any other dramatic event. That's all brilliant. So the next thing is smart storage. And if there's one thing that really irks me, it's when, you know, I buy, let's say a couple bunches of um, kale, some broccoli, some cauliflower, they're there in the, in the uh, refrigerator um, one of the bins and all of a sudden I take out one of the, one of them and it's just the leaves are kind of turning a different color and, and all that stuff. So what would you recommend like for smart storage for leafy greens and any other thing that you can recommend for us? Well, there's not a one size fits all, uh, but I'll tell you some of my favorite, most commonly used st uh, food storage hacks and I totally know what you mean. My husband used to say before I did proper food storage that cilantro yeah. would come to our house to die. That yeah. this is, this is, we would bring it in the door and it would wilt. Uh, but now I cut 
the bottoms and I store it like a bouquet of flowers and some water in the refrigerator. And you can even put, I use a silicone bag to, to keep it even fresher. But uh, if I were doing something like spinach or basil, I would not store it that way. I would put it in an airtight container with a paper napkin on each side to absorb some of the moisture. A lot of times when it's going bad, it's becoming a little bit soggy and yeah. brown. And you want to make sure that you absor absorb that moisture. Uh, but there are a lot of different tips in the book uh, for carrots and avocados. I, I eat avocados quite a bit. I, I love them. Actually, my husband proposed to me in an avocado because that's how much I love them. He hollowed out the pit and made a ring box with the avocado. Uh, so I really love avocados. And, uh, and I buy them still hard, wait for them to become the perfect texture and then throw them in the refrigerator where they last many days yeah. past that. Have you ever considered freezing avocados? I know that that's a thing these days. Yeah, that's a controversial thing too. It's uh, the Why internet. So? Is, the internet yeah. is very divided on uh, on avocados. I posted a picture at the grocery store saying, "What you could buy frozen avocados?" This was a while back, and I could not. I had thousands of people reaching out with very strong opinions on, yes, this is the best thing or this is disgusting or the worst thing ever. But I don't freeze them because I eat, I, I eat them. They don't go bad in my house. I will eat them. But uh, you can use them in smoothies. My understanding, because I have not used them personally, is that you can't, uh, they're not good to spread after you have frozen them. They don't. Mm -hmm have the same texture uh, as you would if you wanted to put them on your avocado toast, for example, but yeah. they would be great in a smoothie. Well, do you have a favorite way that you like to use avocados? I love my favorite meal in the world is a homemade batch of pinto beans with some, uh, I like to make a Spanish quinoa. It's basically how you would eat Spanish rice, but cooked with quinoa instead and uh, with some pico de gallo on top yeah. and a whole, like a half of an avocado, just scoop it out, eat it in my mouth, uh, put it in my mouth and chew it with a little bit of each of those things and have like the perfect spoonful. That is my favorite meal on earth. <laughs> super simple, super flavorful. I like that. And lots mm -hmm. of great textures. All right. What I want to do now Tony, I want to dive into some of the recipes in your book, and you've got a hundred of them. And what I love is that each and every one of them has a gorgeous photo. Who was your photographer? His name is Alfonso Revia, and he has a really special story. I am so grateful to work with him and to call him a friend. He is a, a friend of my husband's, actually, and my husband said, this was in 2019. Hey, I have, uh, why don't you reach out to Alfonso? He had, he had gone to college later in life too and decided to be a photographer. Uh, and at that time, he had only done real estate photography and landscape photography. And my husband was like, he has a camera. You should ask him if he wants to do photos for plant based on a budget. And I thought, it's an art form. Food styling and food photography is so extremely hard. Uh, but he 
I talked to him on the phone. He said he would try. He would love the opportunity. He was really strapped for cash. And uh, I gave him some inspiration photos. And he did a good job. For the price, it was right. Uh, and then he started doing more. And his work became a lot more refined and more beautiful. And right. now he's been working with me since 2019. And he nailed my vision. I told him exactly what I wanted. He moved here to my house for two months to recipe test with me and photograph all of the, all of the beautiful photos that he did. And yeah. what's even cooler about that is that his family immigrated here from um, Peru when he was, was a kid. I think he was 13 or 12. And, uh, and he lived undocumented for quite some time until he got DACA and, all of his family uh, are now citizens. He's on the path to citizenship too. But he lived in a room, one bedroom with his whole family uh, growing up. And all of his brothers and sisters, there are four of them, have gone on to be very extremely talented, successful people who bring so much goodness to this world. So I am really proud of him and impressed with his dedication to helping people eat plant-based, helping people uh, be inspired by his food photography. And I, I'm grateful that he was on my project. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I love the, that you gave him a chance and uh, it sounds like you both have been able to grow together uh, over the course of your, uh, over your plant-based on budget books. Um, so the first recipe that I want you to talk about, and I'm gonna we're gonna go through a few here, so okay. you know, so get ready. Okay. Uh, and this is we're gonna start in the breakfast make ahead breakfast. What's your what, so what's your philosophy on breakfast and why is it called make ahead? I know that breakfast is something that people often sacrifice because of time. I know growing up with a brother and a sister with parents who had full-time jobs, it's a hustle and bustle in the morning. They're trying to get out as quickly as possible. We overslept. We're not morning people. And, uh, and so sometimes you opt for things that are not the healthiest or that are frozen um, waffles with butter on them, and that's all you eat for breakfast. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew that they had options like overnight oats, like make-ahead smoothies, where you could put the effort in the night before when you're less stressed and have a quick, easy, healthy breakfast on the go in the morning. Yeah. Just like a grab and go. I like that. And the first recipe I want to talk to you about, because this isn't so much a grab and go, but it can be, but, and it, and that is your fluffy freezer waffles. And yeah. because, because we, in my house, we reserve Sundays for either pancakes or waffles. And it sounds like this is a very similar philo philosophy here. Yep. And if you want to uh, put in the work and make extra batches, they freeze perfectly. Mm -hmm. And they're very customizable. You can add in so many different things. I actually, uh, I have a whole way to customize the pancakes. And a lot of the pancake customizations work for the waffles where you can blend in spinach, you can add in berries and make them 
different every time. So if you're even, even if you're batch cooking, you can add in those other ingredients for your future meals, then freeze them. Mm. One of my, I love oatmeal, right? I can't get enough oatmeal. And you've put a kind of a, a nice little twist on it with your baked oatmeal here. Talk to me about this baked oatmeal because I want to dive in and have some. That was one of the toughest recipes for me to get in the whole book because you don't want it too dry. You don't want it too wet. And uh, and so I had to go back to that recipe maybe nine times, eight uh-huh. times, ten, ten times. And uh, and. It is something that, again, you can put in that work and then cut them in individual slices and freeze those or store them in the refrigerator uh, to enjoy throughout the week. And I, like you, cannot promote oats enough. They're so inexpensive at the grocery store, even if you're not purchasing them in through the bulk bins. At, um, at Walmart, you can get, I think it's two pounds for $2.50. So it is a very good deal and they're very filling for you too. Yeah. I love extra thick oats. The thicker, the better. Um, and I also, when I'm just making plain uh, oats, my favorite is our steel cut oats because they kind of have that mm-hmm. nutty and a little bit yeah. different texture. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about on page 42, we got overnight oats, five ways. I got to say that I've really never done overnight oats for whatever reason, but in looking at these, especially the peanut butter and jelly, my fave, <laughs> right? The peanut butter and jelly. You've got a blueberry chia. Um, I mean, this seems like such a, a smart way to spend what a couple minutes before you go to bed, and then you literally grab your mason jar and you go. I would eat it between my legs as I'm driving the car to to work, but. <laughs> I I really like them because yeah. they last throughout the week. So you said, um, d- did you say you do meal prep? Uh, well, I've, I said that I've really never done overnight oats before. It's kind of ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, I, I do. I do meal prep once a week and it lasts. So if I did it on Sunday night, it would last until Friday. Uh, if I did them all for the week, one one per day. Uh, which I really, really appreciate. I don't want to keep going and doing more meal prep uh, multiple times throughout the week. So if I can do it all in one sitting and have it last, I really want that recipe. And that's how it is with overnight oats. And I usually add the fresh fruit later. So I top them with fresh fruit. That I do in the morning, but that takes just a, a few minutes to slice and wash and all the things. So, uh, it's, it's so simple and they last throughout the week. Yeah. You've got peanut butter and jelly. You've got apple cinnamon, chia, blueberry. You add the chia seeds the night before, right? Right. Get those nice and plumped up. You got a pumpkin pie and, uh, I missed one there, but let's see here. Wait, did you (laughs) say the peanut butter and jelly? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Oh, (laughs) the one that I missed was the chocolate banana nut. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Anything with chocolate and banana. All right. So let's move on. I want to move on now to one pot meals. And you say that for people that dread kitchen cleanup, this Mm -hmm. is like the ticket. Um, So talk to me for a sec before I ask you about some recipes 
on why one pot meals other than that? For me, it is definitely, definitely the least favorite thing of cooking uh, is the washing of the dishes. I do not want to do dishes. And so uh, the fact that I can make everything within one pot and not have to messy up all of these different uh, utensils and pots and pans or blenders makes me very, very happy. Mm -hmm. And um, my favorite recipe in there is um, actually one that was inspired by my friend Michelle. It's an Alfredo pasta and it's got spinach in it and it's so good. It's made from cashews and it's, it's delicious. Oh yeah. I've, I've got it right here. It's page 84. So you make the sauce. Um, well, you, you, you cook the vegetables and then you add the pasta with some, with the cashew cream and some vegetable broth, and then it cooks down all in one pot and takes under 30 minutes. It's fantastic for, so I've actually earmarked a couple that I want you to talk about. And the first one is the curried lentil soup, right? I, I love lentils. I love curry. And so this combo really caught me. I was wondering though, my audience we try and be mindful of oils, also coconut milk. This curried lentil soup does have coconut milk. Is there a substitute that you can think of for coconut milk that would work? I I think that if you were to use like a, a high protein soy milk, that it okay. could work. And if you cook it a little bit longer, so it's not as, because uh, you don't want it to be really thick, but if you uh, cook it longer, it'll... Uh, some of the liquid will absorb. So you can still have that thick experience with the creamy soup. And I love high protein soy milks. I use the silk unsweet version the most often, and it really makes things creamy. I add that to make uh, ramen creamy. I made a really delicious ramen broth recently. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And it made it just the perfect amount of creaminess with that soy milk. Mm. Um, Turmeric veggies and yellow split peas, Ethiopian inspired. Uh, Obviously, you know, turmeric is hot right now because of its anti-inflammatory properties, that, and of course, anything with lentils and split peas is incredible. But I just, something about the colors, and I think you've got some broccoli in there just really caught my eye. Yes, my husband is from Maryland and in his area of Silver Spring, there were, there was a beautiful Ethiopian community and I was introduced to so many new flavors and textures and a new style of cooking. I did not grow up eating a a very um, international or many international cuisines. Actually being plant-based has opened me up to so many different textures, flavors, and cuisines. So I tried Ethiopian food as an adult and love it so much. And that is not an Ethiopian dish, but it's very inspired by the flavors that I learned from Ethiopian cuisine. Got it. Got it. So next I want to talk about 30 minute meals, but before we do, we're going to take a little break and I want to ask you about 
Eddie. Who is oh. Eddie and why do you love Eddie so much? Eddie is my sweet boy. His, uh, he's a pit bull. Actually, he's an American bully, which I didn't even know existed prior to having his DNA tested. But in 2020, around March 17th, uh, we decided to help foster animals. And we got a no- notice from our local shelter saying that they had to get rid of 100 dogs in 24 hours or else. And so we knew we had to step up. We were at home because of the pandemic and we decided to foster this sweet pit bull. And he was so perfect that every time someone was interested in him, I would get defensive. (laughs) Like, no, he's, he's not, he's not housebroken. He's not this or that or whatever. Um, But he actually was, and he's the most sweet boy. We foster pit bulls. And he is a great big foster brother who teaches these puppies how to be uh, kind. Oh, there he is. How he can be, how they can be kind puppies. And it also helps having Eddie be very exposed. He has an Instagram channel. He's on my channels uh, because people have such a strong misconception about pit bulls and their attitudes and behaviors. And uh, some people think that they may be dangerous, but in fact, uh, all of the pit bulls that I've had in the past and have fostered have been really sweet, loving, loyal animals. Yeah. Well, Eddie looks incredible. And I did check out his Instagram page. He's doing a wonderful job with all of his posts. Oh, Um, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. so your next, your next category of recipes is 30-minute meals. And this is basically what, what, you, what you hung your hat on for your first plant based on a budget, right? Yep. Uh, 30, under $30 a week, 30, under 30 minutes. And um, the, first, the first recipe I want to ask you about is this pesto pasta, which we absolutely adore. Obviously, Pine nuts a lot of times can drive up the price. So what do you do instead of pine nuts to make your pesto? Raw sunflower seeds. Raw sunflower seeds in bulk are very inexpensive and you don't even miss the pine nuts. I've told people later that there were no pine nuts and in fact there were sunflower seeds uh, and they were shocked. But one thing to note is that if you're not familiar with sunflower seeds, Make sure you're buying them without shells. And I learned this because I had one of my recipe testers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, one of my recipe testers uh, who tried the recipe, she did not know that they were available without shells. And so she made them with the shells. And she was like, it's really chalky. Uh, <laughs> but it's because you need to remove the shells or make sure you purchase without shells. Well, that's an innocent enough mistake, I think. Yes. Um, And you mentioned recipe testers. It's really cool to me throughout the book and your recipes how you include uh, the people that tested your recipes and if they added a a cool little tip that they did and you you inserted that in there kind of as a PS on each recipe. Yeah. As as a recipe developer, it's extremely important to me that to know that my recipes will work 
in many very diverse households. So I recipe tested with 100 people. Each recipe was tested by five people. And those people, some of them ate meat, some of them don't eat oil, sugar, or salt. Some yeah. people have never cooked. Some people are chefs. And so they're all so different from each other. I even had a couple kids uh, as recipe testers wanting to make sure that they could make my recipes too. And they gave me very valuable feedback that I incorporated and credit, credited them in the book. Yeah, you sure did. And maybe you said it and I missed it, but so how many recipe testers did you have for this book? 100. 100. Wow. That's great. And did you like put out the word, I'm looking for recipe testers? And then did you have to close it down in 30 minutes? I did put out the word uh, and I wanted a lot more because people have the best intentions and it sounds really cool, but it's a lot of work. And so some people sadly are unable to keep up and, and, and so then I have my backups, which yeah. was always nice. Yep. Now all about that. Um, so the next recipe is cauliflower fried rice, which sounds absolutely delicious. But I, the reason I'm asking you about this is I have not yet gotten on the cauliflower rice bandwagon. And I'm wondering, Tony, am I missing out? Yes, for sure. It, I know a lot of people and a lot of people in my audience are trying to move away from white rice for whatever reason that mm -hmm. they, they have. And this is a great alternative to that. I I do like brown rice in a, in a, in a stir fry, but this is even better. I'm not joking. You simply take a whole head of cauliflower and grind it up in a food processor or in a high-powered blender and not so much that it's mushy, but enough that it still has a little bit of texture. And then you cook it in the same way you would rice. It's awesome. Have you have you tried the Trader Joe's fried uh, right, um, Trader Joe's fried rice? <laughs> I don't think I have. I don't okay. think I have. Yeah. Okay. It's it's, it's like it's that. Similar. It's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I like about cauliflower too, is like a lot of people don't know it, but it's basically a considered a cruciferous green leafy vegetable. So you're getting all the benefits that you would from eating something like, you know, broccoli or kale or Swiss chard. So, and it's a lot for a lot of people, it's much more palatable. Yes. I actually, I recently did, um, a, what I eat in a day with the daily dozen and I included that as one of my recipes as using the using the cauliflower as a cruciferous vegetable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the last one from this section is these, these Southwestern uh, lettuce wraps. And I think that, you know, for me, what really catches me about this one is for people that are trying to lose weight and they're trying to not, uh, you know, have the, uh, the bread, the tacos, the burritos that, you know, like a romaine lettuce leaf like this is so convenient. So kind of makes whatever you're putting in it. So, you know, transportable and, um, and, uh, ergonomically easy to eat. So hopefully I didn't just tell you all the reasons why, <laughs> but anyway, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I looked at that and I immediately, I immediately was like, oh yeah, this looks like a total winner. 
I love that recipe for several different reasons. It's really filling, even though it doesn't have the tortillas. You'd think, oh, well, that's not going to fill me up. But it's actually really filling with the beans. And the beans are totally versatile. You can use lentils if you wanted to. You can also use a different type of bean than the black bean. And the vegetables as well. You can toss in anything that you have on hand. You can even put in some carrots or some sweet potato and it would be delicious. And then if you wanted to even pack it with more flavor, you could add in different spices. I am on a budget with this book and so I only add in chili powder. But if you had others like cumin or even a taco seasoning packet, those would all be great too. All right, we're moving on to the next category here. But before we do, we're going to have another little break. I want to ask you, so you love a certain type of dancing, mm. swing dancing. What? Why do you have such a amour for, for swing dancing? Ooh, it is the most fun sport of all time, I'm sure. It will make you feel like you had the best night of your life and you won't even realize that you put in 10,000 steps in just the time you were there. So it's a great form of exercise. It's a great form of cardio. And uh, it's also a really nice way to make friends. It's how I've made most of my friends. And I think as uh, an adult, it's much harder to meet new people especially now that most of us are working from home. Uh, so going out and meeting really, really nice people and dropping in anywhere. I travel internationally and I always find the local swing dance and making a group of friends. And even in countries where we speak different languages, to have this shared language of dance is really, really cool. So I highly recommend anyone, if you're interested, Google search Lindy Hop. Lindy Hop, and then your city, and you will find something really good. Oh, uh, is your husband enamored with swing dancing as well or not? He humors me. So he learned how to dance right before we got married. And I think he was putting in the work because he knew that I really love it, but has not really stuck, stuck, in, stuck with it. But uh, as I mentioned, my birthday is this week. So on Friday you do what's called a birthday jam where everybody dances with the birthday person. So he'll go and he'll dance with me for my birthday jam. Wow. How often would you say you swing dance once a week or once a month? How often? Uh, at, at the least it's once a week, but there, there have been times of my life in the past decade where I was dancing four nights a week, Wow. but it's now about once a week. What's the, um, What's the worst injury you've ever sustained swing dancing? Uh, I was uh, trying to do an aerial, which is where they throw you in the air, and I landed a little bit funky and hurt my leg. But that is not common. People are not usually getting thrown in the air at these swing dances, so you have to be a little bit more advanced to yeah. to try that. So uh, at social dances, there is a policy where your feet can't leave the floor. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. And, oh, another thing about it is that there are usually live bands that you can go and see play swing jazz music, which is typically 30s, 40s, 50s jazz. And that's really, really fun, too, even if you're not enthusiastic about the dancing part. Mm -hmm. Have you ever taken your father swing dancing? He has gone. Uh, I had a 
30th, my 30th birthday was at a swing dance. And I also had a swing band at my wedding. So they have seen me dance. They think it's really cool. I've also had some performances they've gone to see, but they don't want to swing dance themselves. Well, we might see you on Dancing with the Stars sometime soon. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the perfect transition to sheet pan dishes and casseroles, which, as you say here, make for great leftovers. I want to start with sheet pan fajitas that, Mm. you know, coming from Texas and Tex-Mex. I love fajitas. Can't get enough. A lot of people think that fajitas have to have uh, meat protein, but it's not true. In fact, you can go to a lot of Mexican restaurants and order the fajitas without the meat. That's something that I have relied on. But with my recipe, I have crumbled in big chunks, extra firm tofu that has been slightly pressed. So I buy the kind that is um, in, it doesn't have as much water. So it's not in the bucket style container. And and so I I slightly press it and I rip the chunks apart so that it has a chunkier, meatier texture instead of slicing it. And that that is a way that I can sometimes, if not fool my family, my meat loving family, have them not comment about how it's tofu. And I season it with the same seasonings that they are familiar with so they don't think twice about it. They know bell peppers. They know mushrooms. They know a uh, taco seasoning packet because that's what they use for their chicken fajitas or their beef fajitas. And they don't even comment on the fact that it's tofu. Mm-hmm. You throw all of those things mixed together on the sheet pan, bake it, and you can do a lot with them. You can put them on nachos. I put them in tacos in my recipe, but they're very, very versatile. Well, my wife is out of town right now, and so I'm uh, I'm the cook tonight, and, and last night I was. So I will be going to the store, and I'll, I'm going to get, and I'm going to make sheet pan fajitas tonight because my kids love this stuff. Um, next one, chili uh, cornbread, uh, I think it's casserole, right? Yep. Yeah, chili, chili cornbread, cornbread casserole. casserole. I mean, I just look at that, and I think that is going to stick to my ribs and be super satiating and taste incredible. It is. And what is a nice thing about that recipe and a few other recipes in the book is that you can batch cook uh, a big batch of the chili and use it in different ways. You can eat it one night with brown rice. You can eat it one night with um, a lot of different garnishes on it, like sliced avocado and cilantro and diced onions. And then you can use the batch that you have left to make into a casserole with cornbread baked on top. And it is so good. And I am not someone who loves to eat the same thing every day. And I have a lot of tips and tricks to take a recipe that you've batch cooked and change it up. So especially in that one pot section, because there are people who make their one thing and that's what they eat throughout the week. I I still encourage them to make a a bland pot on the first day and then the next day um, ladle out a a, a bit of it and cook that on the stovetop with some spinach and with some uh, maybe croutons on it. And then then the next day, that same ladle will bring you um, 
sriracha and lemon juice and some black pepper and you can change it up add different ingredients add different flavors and not hate that pot of soup at the end of the week yeah i think that's so smart to take one recipe and then you can basically utilize it for four days and every time that you have it you've changed up the texture and the flavor um that's really really smart um okay this one reminds me of a recipe that we make in our house over a open fire. It's called hobos, but this is vegetable and garbanzo bean foil packets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's the story here? You can freeze these packets filled with vegetables. I also put garbanzo beans, but you can put any kind of bean that you want. And then when it's time to, uh, cook some dinner on a weeknight, you just grab one of those, toss it into the oven. Uh, and if you have a grill, you can toss them onto your grill too. And they cook up nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we love when it's getting cold outside, we have put a, we have a little fire in our backyard and we throw in, um, you know, sliced up potatoes, onions, um, carrots, sweet potatoes, whatever. And then we throw it in there for maybe 15, 20 minutes and pull it out, open it up. And yep. it is awesome. What else um, do you cook on your fire? Uh, you know, the kids do s'mores, oh, ve yeah. ve vegan s'mores. Um, I'm trying to think what else lately. That's really about it. Okay. <laughs> but we have a grill where we do, you know, about everything. But actually, like in the fire, the hobos are really the the, the ticket. You literally you throw it into the the coals, into the embers. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So before we go to mix and match bowls, I want to take a slight departure again, as we've been doing throughout the podcast, and ask you about. So you and your you and your husband, I love the fact that you talk about how you are you're alcohol free. You are, you know, you're drug-free, smoke-free, and you're also child-free by choice. Uh, I'll leave the floor open for you to talk about that however you want. Okay. Well, I have never consumed alcohol in my whole life. I'm 36, and I... Good for you. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And my husband doesn't drink either, which is really nice. I actually remember when I was single, I was talking to my dad and he was very concerned that all of these things, I'm vegan, I don't drink, I don't want kids. <laughs> like, how will you ever find someone? Can you just give on one of these things? Uh, and, and here I am, I found my person and he's so, he's not only supportive, but he has the same lifestyle as me. And so it just shows that you don't have to compromise what you want to find a mate and there could be someone out there for you. So, uh, anyway, I got into punk rock music when I was 15 years old, and I became straight edge. It was super cool among my friends. What does that mean? I don't know what straight so edge means. Straight edge means that you don't um, consume alcohol, you don't do any drugs, and you live a more clean lifestyle, more sober, sober, sober lifestyle, but it comes from the punk rock scene where it was a counterculture to what rock and roll was. Rock wow. and roll was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And this was a different way of doing it where you were really conscious about how you treated your body. And, and a lot of people who were straight edge, not everyone, 
were also vegetarian or vegan. So uh, that's also how I got more into vegetarianism and veganism and became more supported outside of my college campus was in my early 20s. I was into punk rock and met more people who supported me. So that was the the early days of me not being, uh, not, not wanting to drink, but I have stayed true to it and really feel like I don't want to partake, not only because of the health benefits, but also I've seen addiction very closely. I've seen what could happen if you drink and drive and don't know your limits. And I don't want to put myself in that position. So I like to be very in control and it's in line with how I want to live my life. And actually I was just listening to uh, one of your previous episodes with um, Christy Funk. Oh yeah. And she was talking about how alcohol impacts women and can cause breast cancer. And every time I hear something like that, it's very validating for me to continue being sober. Well, huge congrats to you. I don't know too many people that have never had, never imbibed or had alcohol. So, I mean, that's my sister, actually, Jane is one of them, Wow! Uh, which I, I, I always, that. yeah, which I've always found to be super Im- impressive, but um, super proud of you for that, oh, thank especially, you. especially in a society and a culture that we live in that makes it very, very difficult to not drink, especially every turn that you take, you're being asked to, you know, drink this beer, or have some wine or, you know, Hey, well, you know, why don't you want to socialize with us? And, um, yeah, that says a lot about you, Tony. Thank you. It was hard to online date because so much of dating is, surrounded by alcohol. You go wine tasting, you meet at a bar, um, you have wine with your dinner at the restaurant. And so that was a bit of a challenge. But uh, again, I'm glad I found someone who's very in line and supportive of how I how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Mm, love it. Um, next section that we have moving on is mix and match bowls, which you say, this is the way that you you eat for the most part, more than any other way. Um, And why is that? I don't have a lot of time in my life right now to invest a couple hours into meal prepping and meal planning. So what I do is I make sure that I have a protein and a grain cooked, whether that's canned beans or store-bought baked tofu, or I cook them from scratch myself. Uh, And I usually do quinoa or brown rice throughout the week. Uh, And in the pressure cooker, I'll do maybe one day back to back to back where I'm only putting in 15 minutes of active prep time, where I'll do brown rice in 20 minutes, quinoa in five minutes, pinto beans in an hour. I'll cook all of those, store them in the refrigerator and have something to pull from throughout the work week. And I do bowls mostly where I'll put in some, we'll say frozen vegetables that I saute up really quickly um, with some uh, baked tofu, quinoa, and then I'll put in a sauce. And that whole chapter is devoted to that style of eating. If you want to have something that's quick, want to mix things up still and have the sauce, protein, grain, and veggies. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to 
ask you about this recipe on page 158. It's something that was, in, I think, inspired by your grandmother. It's calabacitas, if I'm pronouncing it right. Mm-hmm. And um, what can you tell me about this recipe? Calabacitas is a zucchini dish, and it is very, very, very delicious. You can put it in a bowl. You can also put it in tacos. You can eat it straight up as it is. You can add some black beans if you wanted protein to it, but if you wanted to add protein to it. But I love that dish and eat it at least once a week during the summer when zucchini is abundant. And as I mentioned, I grew up around fresh food with my grandparents. And that's something that reminds me of my childhood. And I want to share those fond experiences and memories with my audience because it's not a dish that's well known outside of the Mexican culture, yet it's delicious and it's a great way to use up your zucchini. Yeah. No, I love the simplicity of that dish. And I'm not a huge fan of eggplant or zucchini or yellow squash, but I was like, all right, I I need to ask her about that one, even though I I don't love zucchini. Uh, Let's talk about, because this is part of your mix and match bowls, and that is dressings that are so vitally important. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of go-to, you know, Tony's favorite go-to dressings. What Share one dressing with us that you really, really love. I would say that peanut sauce is my favorite. I can That's do what so. I had open to. <laughs> I can do so much with it throughout the, the week. You can put it in a stir fry. You can add it to a, a burrito. You can do a mix and match bowl. But it, it's, You can drink it. <laughs> you can drink it. It's very flavor packed and super tasty. Yeah. Peanut sauce, smoothies. Why not? Huh? Yep. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, So we, you have said that you're one of your favorite things in the world are avocados and we want to prevent that cilantro from, you know, dying as your, as your husband says. So let's do a little avocado cream, shall we? Yep. That is Very, very good. It is something that I was inspired by, by my friend, Denora. She's from Mexico City. And it is um, basically just blended up avocados. It's Some people would make their guacamole this way, but instead of making it chunky, you would blend the whole thing until creamy. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's got a nice, nice looking consistency for sure. And on this one, you have some of your testers tips. Um, they say, you know what, double, double the lemon juice if you, if you feel like it. And you can also add some chili powder mm. to give it a nice little bit of heat. Um, love that. All right, let's move on to make and take snacks. I just going to want to ask you about one and that is your um, date bars on page 208 right here, because I am always looking for really uh, healthy fun snacks for my three kids. Yes. I get very hangry if I don't have snacks. Everyone knows that if you're going to be with me all day, it's in everybody's best interest if I have snacks (laughs) on the go. And those are very good for transporting. So you can pop them in your purse and, uh, well, maybe not you, but you can put them in your glove compartment. And when you feel a little bit hungry throughout the day, you can pull those out. They're great to take to work and they're very simple to make as well. 
Yeah. Um, all right. The last section you have are simple desserts. Everybody loves simple desserts, especially tasty ones. You've got everything from banana ice cream, three different ways, depression era, vanilla cupcakes, chocolate chip, banana bars. But I want to ask you about these because these seem to be super popular these days. And this is right. Chocolate mm. dipped stuffed dates, like hold me back. I, I think I could eat eight of these without even knowing it. I had a lot of different stuffed dates in the book that did not make the cut from my recipe testers, but I just want to stuff dates with everything. I had one that was pureed pumpkin uh, with some pumpkin pie spice and then uh, dipped in chocolate and slightly frozen. And that one didn't make the cut, but it's really good. You can do so much with dates, but universally everybody loves the peanut butter or any nut butter stuffed in a date dipped in chocolate drizzled with with the peanut butter and then you got this one this is your banana peanut butter chocolate dipped (laughs) i mean wow are these frozen yep they are frozen bananas and then you dip them into the melted peanut butter and let it solidify just a bit. And then you put the chocolate on and cover it with the nuts of your choice. And it tastes just like a vanilla bar. I'm not joking. Yeah. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to make the, uh, the sheet pan fajitas for dinner tonight. We'll have those for dessert for the kids. That sounds like a meal. That sounds really good. Yeah. I'll have to post it and, uh, let you see it, see how it looks. Tony, is there a TV series you're watching right now that you'd recommend to any, everybody that's out there? I am not usually a fan of gruesome television, but my husband is watching last of us, uh, Um, on HBO and I cannot stop from looking over and watching it. I, I keep saying, this is your show. And he's like, no, it's our show. And uh, and it's because I am glued to the TV. I'll, I'll have my computer out wanting to be working, but it's so yeah. interesting. It's a, about a, a post-apocalyptic world and how people survive. And, and it's really, really, I would say, engaging. And the storyline keeps changing. So you stay interested. Yes, I will echo everything you just said. I'm actually watching it myself right now. And it's, you know, basically some sort of like a mushroom, right? Yep. Fungus that takes over in people's brains and bodies. And uh, I watched the first episode. And I was like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then a friend of mine said, listen, you got to hang in there to at least um, episode three. Yeah. And I watched the third one and I was so moved by episode three that I was like, okay, these guys got something pretty special here. So I'll, yeah, I'll engage. Did you know that at the end they have commentary? Have you been watching that? So if I you haven't. roll past the credits, yeah. you get to see how the storyline was formed. And that is really interesting too. Okay. Very, very cool. Tony. You know what? This has been an absolute blast. Plant-based on a budget, quick and easy, your brand, everything that you're doing. It's really, um, it's a testament to, I think, just the way that you live so authentically and, and subsequently the, the, 
opportunities that have presented themselves to you. You've obviously been moving in this direction for a long, long time. And huge congrats on your success and how you're helping people eat plant-based and save time and save money because that is what it's about. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. You are amazing and do amazing work. And I'm grateful to know you and that you're so supportive of everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you deserve it. You are worthy of it. Way to be. Uh, well, Tony, give me a little fist bump on the way out. Let's keep it land strong. Tony's book, Plant-Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy, comes out on March 7th, and we'll be sure to put a pre-order link in the show notes today. What a great resource to help you save time, energy, and of course, money. Thanks so much for listening today, and remember, you can keep it simple, economical, and plant strong. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plan Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.